Founder of Cabbage just raised a $250 million round from SoftBank, $500 million raised total, but more important than any amount of funding he's raised, the value. Value, value, value. 120,000 small businesses uh, getting funded or at least funding help from Cabbage via their unique kind of application system and their backend data analytics that allow them to predict accurately if you're able to pay back things and who to lend to and manage their own risk. Many, many people down there in Atlanta. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you wanna get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing though, this that database, I keep it to myself, it's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Rob Frowine. And listen, back in 2008, he recognized that companies like eBay offered automated access to small business transactions, uh, transactional data via APIs. He also realized that small businesses could simply share this data to allow underwriters to make better, faster credit decisions and provide a great user experience. Because of that, he co-founded uh, Cabbage in Atlanta, Georgia, to leverage the power of real-time data automation through technology. The company has since expanded to serve to all small businesses throughout the U.S providing billions of dollars to more than 100,000 customers. Rob, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. So give us, I want to get into the Atlanta tech scene a little bit, but tell us first, sure. Cabbage is a remarkable story. You know, I came across you guys, I think back at an SVVC event a while ago and was really impressed with the model, but tell us what Cabbage does and uh, how you make money. Yeah, sure. We uh, we provide working capital uh, to small businesses throughout the U.S. under our brand name Cabbage. Think of these as restaurants, dry cleaners, uh, lawn service folks, construction, lawyers, doctors, you know, really any small business uh, out there. Uh, we also license our technology to banks globally, uh, and we're launched right now in partnership with Santander, ING, and Scotiabank in Spain, UK, Canada, Mexico, and we're just launching two other European uh, countries, and uh, we're soon going to expand in Latin America and Asia as well. So uh, the, the, I think the key to what we do is we actually ask our customers to give us access directly to key data that relates to how they run their business. Uh, and that allows us not only to qualify them for a loan initially, but it also allows us to stay connected to the business. So we understand how that business is not just performing today, but also how it's performing over time. Uh, and that connectivity also allows us to work with a lot of automation uh, inside our business. So we're able to operate you know, with many fewer employees than either traditional or other al uh, alternative lenders online.
Interesting. So see, now the real story comes out. You know, I hit Manuel Silva hard back in January 26th from Santander when I had him on the show. And I said, pick a baby, pick an investment. And he said, well, we love cabbage. And I said, why? And he didn't tell me there was a partnership in the works. So now the truth comes out. Now the truth. <laughs> there you go. It was a little, little the subtle advertising on his part. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. So let me ask a few questions about uh, cabbage before diving into kind of Atlanta stuff. So the, the let's do an example, right? I'm a car wash. Um, I need $50,000 to get going. I go to cabbage.com. What's next? Yeah, so um, you're, uh, you're a small business. You literally land on online. Um, we'll give you a bevy of data sources that you can connect. You can connect your electronically your bank account, payment processing. You can connect social, accounting. Um, I think I mentioned accounting, uh, web analytics, shipping data. And what we do is at that moment that you're online is we actually suck that data in at that moment okay. while you're filling out a real short form application. Think about 10 lines. Yeah. Name, uh, email, so password, bubble, the yeah. usual stuff. Base, basically, just very standard information. And we're churning in the background and basically figuring out a lot about your small business. What we're trying to figure out is what's the size of the small business? Um, what's your character as a small business owner? Do you, you know, do you pay your bills when they're due? Um, and uh, also, what's your consistency or stability? Are you going to be around? You know, businesses traditionally, banks said businesses that are around a year you know, nine years are more likely to be around 10th year than a business that's around a year is going to be around two years. But we look at lots of other factors in addition to that. Is this tech built internally based off data sets that you know, or are you licensing, you know, something from Experian or a typical credit agency? So no, we, uh, we built all our technology in house. Um, we do um, complement it with some traditional data only because it makes sense to use as much data as possible. But the most important aspect is, is we only pull in data that we can actually access and pull in at the, at the time that you're um, applying for the loan. So, so it's not going to be a situation where we say, hey, thanks for going through this process. Um, now let's get back to you in a couple of days while we go find out more information about you. It is, we want to find out, figure it out right away and let you know, because guess what you've got as a small business owner, you've got a lot of better things to do than to spend a lot of time with your bank. It's instant. Instant. That's great. Yes. And so where are you today? How, how much total? This is the, these are the big numbers, the headliners. So how many total businesses have taken a loan out and what's the total volume? So we're, we have 115,000, approaching 120,000 small businesses in the U.S. that have taken a loan. We're approaching $4 billion in capital delivered. We've done really all of this. We started the business in 08, 09, but we didn't launch until 2011 because we were spending that year and a half, two years, doing two things, raising money and building technology. Uh, if you look at a lot of the other folks that are out there you know, in the space, you'll notice the year they started was the same year they started lending. Well, you need time to build a system, right? We knew that that was a key component, and so we took our time and built the right system. How much have you raised? Uh, we have raised close to $500 million, so just a tiny bit. Yeah, just, just, a, a, just a little bit. Now, you yes. have something unique in your business. Are you able to raise against kind of the future income stream, whether it's the interest or things like that? Walk us through the kind of unique economics you have. Yeah, so the money I, I talked about, the, the $500 million, is actually an equity raise. We've also raised in debt. Um, literally at this point, billions of dollars. We put out a lot of money to date. Um, and that is money that we raise based off of the receivables, obviously, of the of the loans that we're making right now. Um, the equity that we raise is for operating capital and also 
our lenders want to know that we're putting some skin in the game, right? So they want to understand that we're actually putting money alongside them uh, in lending to our customers. So we um, participate in that. And also, as we think about expansion, both geographical and product expansion, um, we use our own capital often for those efforts because we've got to prove the market. We've got to prove that we know what we're doing, obviously, to our lenders. And so we, uh, so we utilize our own capital to do that. Are you regulated? Does the government like require that you keep, you know, four billion in the bank or like what, what is the ratio that they require you to keep, if any? Well, first of all, we're, we're partnering with the bank, Celtic Bank, uh, which is a bank out of Utah, and they're actually the ones who originate um, the loan, which we then acquire the receivables of, the, of that loan immediately. So we're in a partnership with them in order to be able to make sure, you know, that uh, and, and by doing that, we, you know, we have to comply with all of the same regulations that any financial institution has to comply with. Um, we, uh, we, keep a, we keep a solid percent. First of all, we take the risk of loss on all the loans that we make. So just to- So you just, hold that liability. So we hold the liability. We might not, we may borrow a lot of money in order to provide the loans to our customers, but that liability rests with us. Which Whether is, it's I think, debt or dilution in the form of equity. Yeah, and and you know the the fact of the matter is it's it's um, I think it's important to have real alignment between those who are calling the risk, which is us, right? We're trying to figure out whether there's, you know, a, you know whether a customer is credit worthy or not, and those that actually hold the you know that take the risk. And I think there's been a lot of misalignment over time in that continuum where those that um, you know figure out what they think the likely, you know, the likely uh, risk of default is, and then sell the loan to a third party. Um, we believe that it's important to hold, you know, hold that risk, or at least hold a bunch of that risk. Yeah, look, I, I think this model is very interesting. So like one of the issues I run into all the time being an entrepreneur, for example, I'm now investing aggressively in hostel chains. And there's one that I'm working with right now to open a new one. And they say, well, and I'm like, I'm happy to back it. But see, I've had exits of companies. So like if when the bank asks me for two years of historical data, I'm like, I haven't even... I haven't even stayed at the same company for two years, but they don't care about the cash you bring. And I'm like, I know I don't fit your damn check boxes, but I yeah. promise you I'm richer than most of the people you ever lend money to. But they go, no, it just it doesn't work. It's crazy. I mean, early on, we were working. So this is when we were just starting out, and our top line was a whopping total of $12,000. We're now up to $250,000. <laughs> what, what year was that? Geez, that was you know 2011. So that was that was really when we started. We we walked in. There's this great business that sold a ton of inventory, uh, sold a ton of product over places like Amazon and eBay. They were doing three or four million dollars in annual revenue, and they went to a bank for a line of credit. And what the bank said to them is, "We cannot give you a loan because you turn your AR too quickly." Crazy. So because they actually had a very fast moving business, the bank really couldn't understand them. And it, it's really counterintuitive. And obviously, it just validated the fact that there needed to be a different model out there. It's frustrating. Now, before we get to some other stuff that's not directly related necessarily to the business, um, how do you make money? So we make money, uh, it's really a couple of ways. One is uh, we make money on the for, through interest that we charge on the on the loans that are being made. Um, very, very important though, uh, it's only, an, and it sounds like this is a sort of a duh comment. It's only for the capital you have out, only for the time you have that capital out. So we approve you for a line of credit. We don't charge you an origination fee, some sort of availability fee because you've had 100,000 that you haven't tapped. Um, we don't charge you because you 
you paid us off early or anything along those lines. You're literally charged only for the time. So that's one way. The second way is these licensing relationships we have with your friend uh, uh, Manuel Santander. Silva um, over at Santander. Um, you know, we, we have licensing fees that, that we receive in connection with doing those relationships with customers, with, with those types of banks. And if I try and get down to like, again, a, a single unit specific model, a single customer, I mean, if you have four billion out there and you've got, call it 115, 120,000, I mean, the average size is about what, 30 grand, something like that, 40 grand? So, so that's the total amount we put out to date. We have about um, 650 million in, a, in sort of a current uh, in sort of a current book. Um, so our average customer, just to sort of sort of put this in a range, we have lines that range literally from a couple thousand dollars. Believe it or not, there are businesses that you know that's a that's an important way to move to the next step up to 250,000 and everything in between. The average line size, which means, you know, a credit line you have is <laughs> $25,000. The average loans that customers take are only six or 7,000 on average, but they take loans six or seven times a year. So this is capital that they keep coming back to as they have general working capital needs over time. Now, certainly some customers utilize it for capital improvement, so they'll take $100,000 in one fell swoop. Um, but, you know, we built a flexible product in order to meet whatever the particular need of the customer is. So Rob, just to be clear, if I use some of your capital to go open my hostel, what you're saying is if I am if I perform like your average cohort, you know, it'll be 30, 40 grand is the line of credit, but I'm only gonna come to you and maybe rack up six or seven grand at a time before paying it off than doing that again. Well, it just depends on the business. Like I said, there's some that take fifty and a hundred thousand dollars at a chunk, they pay that off, take it again okay. um, over time. There's some that literally use it very much, I mean, sort of similar to a credit card in the sense that they're yep. utilizing it on a regular basis for smaller chunks of capital. And a lot of these folks are using it for, you know, product upgrades, uh, marketing, short-term uh, employees, you know, help, uh, all sorts of things, you know, just general working capital purposes is the typical use of proceeds. I wanna talk about crypto in a second, the Atlanta Tech Village as well. Uh, but first, $500 million is a lot of money. What on earth do you spend? spend $500 million on? Well, we haven't spent it yet. That's um, good. A good answer. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just raised a uh, $250 million round from SoftBank uh, Corporation. Congratulations. Uh, what month was well, that? Thank you. Uh, pardon me? What month was that? Well, we announced it earlier this month. Oh, great. Um, and, and so... Uh, and, and that relationship has been fantastic. But the, the our objective over the next over the coming 12 months is obviously we want to continue to grow our you know what I'd call our core business to date, which is the lending business. And I believe through providing I would say deeper and broader uh, products. So really verticalizing our relationship with our customers and really understanding that car wash versus that construction company versus that retail store. Everybody's a little bit different and our products have to meet with the tempo of those customers. Um, that's number one. Number two, um, we are expanding uh, geographically. So we're, you know, we're starting to land in other territories. We have an opportunity through these relationships with your buddy at Santander um, to also put capital out um, in some of these relationships. So we intend to do that. And as I pointed out- What do you mean by that? So uh, what happens is the bank will go through a process of having a small business come through, very, very similar process to, the, to what they come through at Cabbage in the U.S., um, and the bank will make a decision about them. That decision may be yes or a no. Uh, if it turns out in many instances that it's a no, um, one of the challenges still facing large banks is they can only serve what I'd call the cream of the crop, you know, from a credit perspective. And the fact of the matter is, is 
most small businesses are great small businesses, but don't have the, you know, don't have the credit because they've been working to build their small business that others do. And so consequently, um, those sometimes get turned down. It'll be an opportunity for us to step in and say, actually, you have a great business. Let's let's lend you money. Um, so that's uh, so that's part one. Uh, and then we're also looking at product expansion. So we we think you know the nice thing about the engagement and the amount of capital, number of times customers come back to us over and over again, it puts us in a good place to have permission from the customers to offer other products and services that may relate to payments or back office invoicing, billing, payroll, uh, insurance, and other products that are interesting and so we're investigating those I'd say in a very um, you know detailed way and seeing what else makes sense we've been very very careful to date um, uh, with our brand and not to you know uh, not to create a sort of convenience store supermarket uh, experience when you check out um, and we don't we ever intend to do that so in moving into some of these other product categories they need to a make sense for the customer B be better than anything else on the market C actually take advantage of the infrastructure we built to date uh, and be really you know be able to leverage our customer base and, and our brand um, in order to in order to get those distributed quickly crypto does it keep you up at night um, no, it, I don't think it does. I'm actually fascinated by it. I love I love thinking about the blockchain and how it may apply um, either to lending or how it may apply to um, other you know other related disciplines. And so, um, and now I, I, I let me put it this way: I believe in innovation. Uh, I believe good things come from innovation and technology, uh, and uh, I never. I don't worry about that. I try to um, embrace it and figure out how it can work to, you know, the general population's greatest advantage. Last question before we wrap up with the famous five. Why has Atlanta uh, been able to stay under the radar in terms of it's not known as a top tech hub, but I know from firsthand interviews, there's a lot of technology happening, especially at the Atlanta Tech Village. Why has it stayed under the radar? Um, not intentionally. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't think a city tries to be, you know, under the radar. Um, but I think uh, I, I think it's um, look. I, I think a lot of people think of the South. I mean, you know, it's amazing how many people I run into and they go, "Where in the valley are you located?" And I go, "Yeah, in sort of the Southern Valley, you know, way, way, way south." Um, and uh, and it always really shocks people. Um, I, I actually think our, our our best days are are happening. Um, in sort of consecutive fashion right now. So I'm excited about what's going on with ATV, Atlanta Tech Village, David Cummings, a bunch of other incubators. And we've also had a lot of great wins, Ionic Security, Cardlytics, um, you know, and a bunch of other companies that are uh, that are sprouting out right now and raising full story, raising a bunch of money. Insight Pool. Yeah, Insight Pool. Yeah, absolutely. Devin, I'm actually having lunch uh, with Devin, uh, I'd like to say Wednesday of next week. I'm small world. Yeah, small world. Okay, Top Tribe, I have to tell you, many people go, Nathan, you came out of nowhere, your website's growing so fast, how'd you do it? The answer is simple. So I use HostGator, I don't know if you guys know that, but I use HostGator, and the reason I do, they have like about 4,500 free templates I can use, because I don't code. They've got a great e-commerce plugin, and guys, I bug the heck out of their support. They've got 24-7 support, which I love. So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan, you can sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45 day money back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. All right, Rob, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number yeah. one, what's your favorite business book? 
um, Ideal Team Player uh, is a great book. Uh, you know, it's about hiring uh, employees that are, are um, uh, hungry, humble, uh, and are people smart. Love and it. How many are you at now, team-wise? Uh, right now, we have 375 people. Got it. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying currently? I, I study them all. Um, I, I, I pay close attention. I mean, I'm going to be really boring here. Bezos, I think, has incredible vision, has 20-year vision. I think Zuckerberg's willing to reinvent the company, uh, you know, all the time. And so Musk, I love the way he redefines uh, a company in a moment. He goes from, we're not a car company, we're an energy company. I think you take tidbits from everybody, and, and, uh, and it helps you really think about how you want to shape the future. Number three, besides your own, is there a favorite online tool you have? Yeah, I use uh, a tool called followup.cc. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. That's my favorite. If you're, you're familiar with it, I, I, am. Yeah. I, I send myself no less than 10 reminders a day. And I started, it's one of those things where you sort of get into it slowly, you know, one or two gateway drug kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's an addict, park your memory at that company. He's an addict. Number, uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Um, uh, not enough, unfortunately, probably five, four okay. to five. All right, Robin, what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Uh, married two kids. Uh, one started uh, his junior year in college last year, and my daughter is about to go off to college in a week. And uh, how old are you? How old am I? Forty nine. All right. You don't look, look, look it. You don't look at. You oh don't look yeah. It. Sure. All thanks. Right. <laughs> last question, Rob. Take us back twenty nine years. What do you wish your twenty year old self knew? Um, I, I sort of wish uh, my twenty year old self, um, you know looked for pockets in my career. Um, so I, there was, there's two time periods that I call sort of dead periods in my life where I knew I was doing something um, that was sort of getting me along, but I, I knew I had you know greater aspirations for what I wanted to do. One was from um, 96 to 99. Uh, and that was a period where I'm like, you know, had I allowed my creativity to go, I, I might have launched a, launched a great business back then. Another was sort of uh, seven or eight years later. I think look for the dark periods and make sure that you're not, um, you know, the time creeps up on you. Five years can go by in a flash. So uh, take advantage of every second. If you find yourself feeling content, jump out of it, kick yourself out of it. From Rob, founder of Cabbage, just raised a $250 million round from SoftBank, $500 million raised total. But more important than any amount of funding he's raised, the value. Value, value, value. 120,000 small businesses uh, getting funded or at least funding help from Cabbage via their unique kind of application system and their back-end data analytics that allow them to predict accurately if you're able to pay back things and who to lend to and manage their own risk many many people down there in atlanta rob thank you so much for taking us to the top thank you appreciate it